thank you for listening to this Aspen podcast titled A Multidisciplinary Approach to Reducing Errors in Total Parental Nutrition Management, supported by a grant from Presenius Cobby. The research discussed in this podcast was presented as an abstract at Aspen 21. We are pleased to have the opportunity to discuss this research with the authors. My name is Andrew Mays, and I'm a clinical pharmacy specialist in nutrition support at the University of Mississippi Medical Center and a clinical assistant professor for the University of Mississippi School of Pharmacy. I'll be interviewing Teresa Pounds and Jason Charisma from Wellstar Atlanta Medical Center about the impact of a multidisciplinary nutrition support team in critically ill patients receiving parental nutrition. This retrospective study compared a pre-implementation control to a cohort of patients after the multidisciplinary team was formed and looked at outcomes of protein requirements, associated errors, and electrolyte abnormalities, to name a few. Uh, let's get into our discussion of your research. Uh, why did you all decide to look at the impact of a multidisciplinary team on parental nutrition management? Sounds good. First off, I want to thank you all for having us on the podcast. Um, so TPN is considered a high alert medication, and really with the incorrect use of TPN, it could really lead to a few patient complications. So there are several studies that show data on errors being found during the parenteral nutrition process, which can cause some serious harm. So before my research was conducted, the standard of practice at Wellstar Atlanta Medical Center involved the management of TPN by clinical pharmacists, while dietitians were involved in managing enteral nutrition. Multidisciplinary nutritional support teams who round specifically on patients receiving TPN and enteral nutrition in the ICU in patients with TPN orders on the med surge floors were established as the new standard of care in July of 2019. With the ongoing use of parenteral nutrition and enteral nutrition in patients at Wellstar and literature showing the effectiveness of multidisciplinary nutritional support teams, we really decided to locally evaluate the effectiveness of this team in reducing errors in TPN management. So that really piqued our interest in conducting this research during my residency there. Great. Who was included in your study and why did you include those specific patient populations? Yeah, thank you for that question. So, um, just a brief background and basic design. This was a single center retrospective study with a control group consisting of patients prescribed TPN from July 1st to December 31st of 2018 before implementation of a multidisciplinary nutritional support team and an interventional group consisting of patients prescribed TPN from July 1st to December 31st of 2019 during the implementation of a multidisciplinary nutritional support team and the inclusion criteria included patients initiated on central or peripheral parenteral nutrition, non-neonate patients defined as greater than 28 days old, and a length of stay of at least 24 hours. And a total of 44 patients were enrolled in the control group as opposed to 41 in the intervention group. Great. And I think something to point out specifically that we spoke about was the non-neonate patient greater than 28 days of age. These patients all in your study were all adult patients, correct? Correct. All of them were adults. Yep. So why did you all exclude patients on home parental nutrition? Yeah, that's a good question. We excluded these patients due to the fact that patients who were on home parental nutrition are not under the direct care of the nutritional support team. So we just wanted to limit, a, limit those factors that were essentially uncontrollable by us. So when the patient is in the hospital receiving TPN, we're able to round on these patients consistently and assess them thoroughly. 
Um, during the time of this study, though, it is important to note that we didn't have any patients during our pre-screen that were on home TPN anyways. So just adding this exclusion criteria was just something that we wanted to tack on just to make sure that we covered that base. It's pretty interesting. Do you guys have a large population of patients that are on home PN, um, short gut patients, things like that, intestinal failure? That's a good question. I know um, during my time, I didn't see many patients on home uh, parenteral nutrition. Maybe Dr. Pounds can allude on that. Right. I can add on to that. Uh, we typically do not have that many patients that go home on home TPM. Very rarely do we see uh, those type of patients. Yeah. We've seen occasionally those on like maybe that have high, high up fistula, but not. So the answer to that question would be we don't see that many patients that go home on TPM. Okay, great. Uh, let's discuss some of the data collected, why they were collected. You know, I looked at a few things that kind of piqued my interest. What did your indications look like? What about protein gram per kilo per day? Some other things were electrolyte abnormalities. And then really one of the big things, obviously, errors and PM-related errors and complications that were potentially impacted. Yeah, sure. So, we wanted to collect data regarding TPN indications to really look at whether appropriate indications for TPN use were actually being followed in our patient population. Um, we did observe that all the patients in both the control and the interventional groups had an appropriate indication to be on TPN, with the majority of patients on parental nutrition due to severe abdominal trauma. And these were from either gunshot wounds, um, a serious motor vehicle accident, or um, some stab wounds. And then um, some of the indications having complete bowel obstructions and severe malnutrition where feeding enterally or by mouth wasn't really possible. Um, looking at protein grams per kilo and electrolyte abnormalities, we wanted to collect data on these two parameters to really evaluate whether there was an improvement in our intervention group versus the control group on TPN patients meeting protein and electrolyte requirements. Um, we all know it's important to replenish these macro and micronutrients consistently when possible. And a big responsibility for the nutritional support team is to ensure that the amount administered through TPN is sufficient enough for that patient at that time. Looking at parenteral nutrition-related complications, we did want to also collect data on this particular parameter to evaluate whether our interventional group reduced the occurrence of these complications. So in this study, we actually saw that the control group had a total of 13 parenteral nutrition-related complications. And um, our top complications that we saw in this group um, were refeeding syndrome, TPN-related hyperglycemia, and hypertriglyceridemia versus in our interventional group, um, which only had a total of six complications in comparison, with the majority of complications in this group um, experiencing wound dehiscence and refeeding syndrome. So it was just really interesting seeing how much of an improvement the interventional group, aka our nutritional support team, really made in regards to complications. And I think that was a huge impact in one of our main focuses when taking some of the big points of this research. Yeah, I think a lot of the complications um, that you actually mentioned are fairly common in, you know, working with the team and speaking with uh, physicians and your surgeons and your dietitians and with other PharmDs. You can actually work through a lot of those complications and address those very aggressively on the front end instead of kind of being, you know, reactive to a lot of these things, especially the hyperglycemia and electrolyte issues as well. The one thing I did notice is you guys had 
two more administration errors after your implementation of this team? Do you happen to know why those errors occurred? Um, that's a good question. And uh, really, when I tried to look up the reason why, and that really involved a lot of heavy chart reviewing, there wasn't really any indicator there. I couldn't really find anything conclusive. Um, so I'm not quite sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the fact that those were there are really interesting and pretty um, pretty important points to definitely cover. Yeah, I, I can add a little bit to that. And, and Jason, you're right, you probably couldn't see it, but we had opportunities also with the nursing issue in terms of administration. And the documentation really wasn't very good on their part. So um, the administration errors, antidotally, we saw that. But you're right that you couldn't really pick that up. And that was one of the things we started working on going forward. Yeah, I find that interesting. We have a lot of nursing turnover in our institution. So we're constantly rolling out education to new nurses uh, about the administration of parental nutrition. We have a lot of documents that are out there to help educate them and to increase safety. And sometimes it's just very hard to catch every nurse and nursing orientation to reach them. So we have some online modules that we use, but it's very challenging. And so that's something that I'm really interested in is trying to obviously reduce any kind of administration errors and utilizing the resources that we have to reduce those. Yeah, and that's definitely something that we have implemented. We have uh, clinical pharmacists who are visible on the floor. We also have unit-based pharmacists who are also on the floor. So we're doing a lot of concurrent education and education with these nurses is not just educate them once and stop. It's, it's an ongoing education as you see things you know, you just make sure you educate. So and we are part of the team up on the floors, you know, partnering with nursing and of course being visible to physicians, yeah. Great. What about results? Jason, can you kind of speak to the following and both of you guys can kind of tag team this. What about your outcomes, both statistically significant that you found and those that you found that you perceive as clinically significant just speak to those and kind of tell us about those. Yeah, definitely. So um, just going back to the, I guess, the total amount of patients that we had and alluding to the design, a total of 44 patients were enrolled in the control group and 41 in the intervention group. All baseline characteristics shown for both the control and intervention groups were similar too, so that's important to note. Statistical significance was shown, and this was with a p-value of 0.005 for the percentage of days with presence of electrolyte abnormalities with the intervention group favored at 40.3% versus 45.9% in the control group. Also speaking into statistically significant outcomes that were shown in the study with a p-value of 0.005 also, <laughs> regarding the total number of ordering errors with the intervention group favored at 18 versus 21 in the control group. Um, so we saw that these two important outcomes here were actually pretty significant and statistically. Um, going back into some outcomes that we found that were not statistically significant, um, we did see a numerical improvement observed in the favor of the intervention group regarding energy requirements, protein requirements, total number of complications, length of stay, and 30-day mortality, which may be a clinical significance, but they weren't really statistically significant. So the only outcome that really favored the control group was the total number of administration errors that occurred, which was three in the control group versus five in the intervention group. I think that if we had expanded this study just a little bit further, we would have a 
a larger patient population where we can actually expand some of these non-statistically significant parameters because we did see a trend, but we didn't have, I feel like we didn't have enough patients to actually extrapolate enough to make it statistically significant, if that makes sense. But um, the trend was actually in the right direction. So that's just one thing I definitely wanted to point out in the results. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Uh, We're conducting a few studies here at, at my institution, and we're kind of looking at some of the same endpoints that you guys looked at as well. We actually had to expand our IRB application. Uh, Once we screened quite a few patients, we realized that we needed to adjust those IRB requirements um, and inclusion criteria. And so we did that and now we're collecting all over again for one of our studies. So yeah, I definitely know, I feel your pain there. And, and I just want to add a little bit to what uh, Jason said, you know, and what you said. And, and I think that's probably something that we all, the pharmacists or clinicians in nutrition, yeah, in this type of nutrition support, parental nutrition needs to think of way forward. I think we need more information on the medication errors pertaining to TPN, you know, to continue to kind of help us educate the key disciplines involved in parental nutrition management. Yeah, I I just want to add to that. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I think improving the PN use process and following our guidelines and recommendations from Aspen and all the hard work that have been put into those documents is very important. And then um, moving forward and giving that information to other disciplines is very important as well, you know, especially in areas that may not have a multidisciplinary team or a service that services these patients that are on parental nutrition that becomes even more important to educate other disciplines appropriately. Looking at your protein requirements and and the number of percentage before and then after your intervention, you know, from 66% to 95, that's, that's pretty great. Pretty interested in that and like moving forward and looking at maybe a longer term outcome. Are you guys gonna continue with this multidisciplinary team? Yeah, and of course, and I can answer this, Jason. You know, of course, uh, Jason did this during his residency under me, and uh, we have continued the multidisciplinary team approach. Unfortunately, with COVID, that kind of slowed us down a little bit because the plan was to expand it hospital-wide because, you know, this multidisciplinary team approach during the study was focused quite a bit in the ICU. Now that things are kind of normalized somewhat with COVID, that's the next plan to see how we can expand it hospital-wide. Now, hospital-wide, we still utilize the physicians, the nurses to provide for it, but to have a more structured approach like we have with the ICU is what we're looking at to expand that. Great. So can you all just tell us a little bit of a conclusion, you know, what you really found, like the nitty-gritty, and then how this really impacts your patient care, which you kind of spoke about previously, and then future changes to any further projects and research at your institution? Yeah, sure. To just sum everything up in one uh, big statement here, just looking at our results, we saw how much of a positive impact a nutritional support team can optimize TPN utilization, leading to reduced length of stay, and of course, improved patient outcomes. There may also be potential cost savings from the reduction of inappropriate TPN use, the decrease in errors, timely transition to oral or enteral feeding, and the reduced length of stay. 
Um, I think that future studies could really evaluate and look at the economic impact related to the favored outcomes shown by a multidisciplinary nutritional support team, just so future institutions can really budget or allocate funds to assemble a team such as this to start implementing in their institutions, respectively. Also, pharmacy involvement in these nutritional support teams can really help increase collaboration and promote the institutional pharmacy service that's present in most hospitals. It really builds the camaraderie and brings everybody close together in terms of healthcare disciplines working together and coherently. So I think that's a huge factor as well. So this study really showed that a multidisciplinary nutritional support team effectively reduced ordering errors and decreased the amount of days patients experienced electrolyte abnormalities during TPN therapy. And when these errors are identified and corrected, we can really prevent potential harm from reaching the patient, leading to improved outcomes, which I think is the most important takeaway from this research is really improving that patient outcome and um, reducing that length of stay. So... I think that all encapsulates this this research pretty much in a nutshell. And I think um, we were pretty pleased when the results came out. And hopefully future studies can really extrapolate and even build upon um, some of the foundations that were laid upon in this research as well. Great. Jason, you summed it up very nicely that um, I think one key point is the resources, like you just said. I know back then, a couple of years back, we used to have nutrition support teams that it looked like that kind of went by the wayside. So like Jason said, going forward, probably is something that institutions can look at to see if they can put resources to at least have that kind of team available. Awesome. Well, thank you, Dr. Pounds and Dr. Charisma for joining us today. We also want to thank Fresenius Kavi for providing us the opportunity to discuss this research. And as always, thank you to our audience for listening to this Aspen podcast. And that's it for this episode. Please return to the Aspen channel of SoundCloud often to listen to our new podcasts. To support what we do, please share, subscribe, and leave a review over on SoundCloud. Thank you. Thank you for having us.